we celebrated Easter about a month ago. And the seven weeks before Easter is um, traditionally known as the season of Lent. And during Lent, we do self-reflection. We examine afresh Jesus' death and resurrection, and we ask ourselves how we are doing with our discipleship. And sometimes the meditations that we have during Lent focus on the last words of Jesus on the cross. Uh, Pastor Kokfai shared these last words, the seven last words on Easter during the uh, sermon. And this morning, we want to look a bit more closely at the first of Jesus' last words. Let me read from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 onwards to verse 34. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Verse 34, the last verse I've just read to you, is found only in Luke and not in any of the other three Gospels. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, help, please. Thank you. Forgiveness is a powerful word. It comes from an old Latin word, and I hope I pronounced it right, perdonare, which means to give up completely without reservation. And that's also where we get our English word pardon, which means letting go. Letting go of what? Letting go of an offense, letting go of a debt, letting go of an obligation, letting go of a liability. I only have two points for this message this morning, right? Just, just two points, and, and both start with the letter W. First one is this. Can I have some help? Sorry. First W is this. There is a wideness in God's forgiveness. There's a wideness in God's forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Have you ever wondered who the them was that Jesus was referring to? Who's the them that Jesus spoke about on the cross? Traditionally, we interpret them as being the soldiers who hammered the nails into Jesus' hands and feet and hoisted up the wooden cross and causing the weight of his body to press onto his wounds. But these Roman soldiers who were most directly responsible for his death may have also been the most innocent. Why? Because they were just simply following orders. They may have no clue whatsoever who this Jesus was. Surely, they know not what they do. And the offer of forgiveness that Jesus spoke on the cross, the prayer for forgiveness that Jesus spoke on the cross, was most surely made to them in the first instance. But them may also refer to the Roman legions, like Pontius Pilate, who was responsible for that dark moment in world history. And the Roman governors, like Pontius Pilate, had, had no personal interest in religion. And they were just doing what the emperor wanted them to do, collect taxes, keep the peace, and so on and so forth. 
And this rebel rouser Jesus had kind of turned the whole Jewish world upside down with his miracles and his teachings. And so to Pontius Pilate, put him, as you heard from saying last week, on an unfair trial in the middle of the night or early in the morning, Jesus extends forgiveness as well. Them, them may also refer to some of the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were in the crowd watching and maybe gloating that this, this upstart Messiah, this, this threat to the influence, will soon be eliminated for good. The Pharisees and the Sadducees disliked the Romans for being their rulers, but they hated Jesus even more. And as they say, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so what was Jesus' response to these people? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Them may also include his friends and acquaintances, the women who followed him all the way from Galilee, and the frightened disciples. Peter, who denied him three times. Maybe, maybe even Judas, who betrayed him with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. And all the other nine, who all abandoned him. Do you suppose they were watching from far? Probably. Some like Mary and John and a few others were at least close enough to hear what Jesus said. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you go down a few verses from Luke chapter 23, the text we just read, and we will read these other verses. Verse 39. I don't have it on the slide, so just bear with me. Verse 39 from Luke chapter 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? Verse 41. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm sure that thief, that criminal number two, the one who just said those words, was included in the them. What we probably think that criminal number one, who was hurling insults at the Son of God, did not go to paradise with Jesus. I believe that he too was included in the them. But of course, we must understand that forgiveness offered must also be forgiveness received if it is to be effective. And regardless, what, whether we think about, when we think about the scope of Jesus' prayer that day as He hung on the cross, we will understand that there is an amazing whiteness in God's mercy. So that's the first W. Second W, we must have a Willingness to die. You know, there are parts in the New Testament that seem to suggest that God will forgive us according to the measure that we forgive others. In other words, it is contingent. For example, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 to 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Sorry about that. 
that seems to indicate that grace is not grace anymore. And that God's forgiveness depends on our forgiving others who sin against us. It's only when we forgive others that God will forgive us. But let's examine this verse a bit more closely, these verses a bit more closely. And a few verses before this text, Jesus taught His disciples the Lord's Prayer. We sang it just now uh, when, when Tripeng led us in the worship. And verse 12 of the Lord's Prayer tells us something that we are very familiar with. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so Jesus' words in the earlier text in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 to 15, about God forgiving us only if we forgive others, help us to explain his statement about forgiveness here in this verse I just read to you. Though God's forgiveness is those God's forgiveness of sin is not based on one's forgiveness of others, or, sorry, on one's forgiving others, a Christian's forgiveness of others is based on realizing that he himself or herself has been forgiven. Two verses, one in Ephesians and one in Colossians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Just as in Christ God forgave you. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against anyone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In other words, these verses refer to personal fellowship with God. It does not talk about salvation from sin. One cannot walk in fellowship with God if he refuses to forgive others. There is a blockage. There is an impediment. And the Lord's Prayer is a prayer by Christian disciples who have been saved. It is not a prayer for salvation. Look at another passage, which we often refer to as the parable of the unmerciful servant. I don't have it on the slide, but if you can turn to your Bibles in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35, and you can follow the reading with me. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all they had be sold to repay the debt. Verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. Those were exactly the same words that this other man gave to his master. Be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man throw into, thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. 
I cancel all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What are we to make of this parable that Jesus spoke? That God's forgiveness is contingent on us forgiving others who wrong us, as Jesus himself seemed to imply in the last verse? In order to make sense of this, we need to look at the preceding verses, the verses before this parable. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. Again, I don't have it on the slide, so you can just follow with me from the Bible. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. This is what the Lord said to His disciples. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won, over, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In verse 19, again, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So, back to the question. How do we make sense of all these texts? Is God's forgiveness of us contingent upon us forgiving others? Or not? Verses 15 to 20, I just read, describe an escalation in the way that church discipline should be meted up. First, it's just between you and your brother or sister who has seemed to have something wrong against you. And then, if that's not enough, it doesn't solve the problem, get two or three witnesses. Next step, if it still doesn't work, escalate it to the church and the leaders. And finally, if that still doesn't solve the problem, Jesus says, treat him as an outsider. In other words, exclude him from the fellowship of believers. And immediately after these verses comes the parable of the unmerciful servant. As though Jesus was preempting the question that Peter was in fact asking him. Let's not talk about hypothetical things about church discipline and escalation of issues in the church. Let's talk about this personally. What if I am the one who has been sinned against? What if I am the one who's been wronged by another brother or sister? So Peter wanted to know if there was a timer for forgiveness, a timer for forgiveness. How many times, Lord, should I forgive this brother who keeps doing an injustice toward me? Should I forgive him seven times? Actually, Peter was being very generous already because according to traditional rabbinic teaching, an, an offended person needed only to forgive a brother three times. Three strikes and you're out. Three times. So he asked Jesus, seven times? Enough? 
And Jesus' reply was that forgiveness needs to be exercised to a much, much greater extent. Not just seven times, but 70 times seven. 490 times. So what does that mean? Does it mean that you... And then you start counting. There are exactly 490 strokes there, by the way. Counted. Do we start counting the number of times someone has wrong before the timer stops? Well, of course not. Jesus meant that there should be no limit. No limits. But the demand that Jesus, uh, that Christians learn to forgive one another without limit presupposes that we as a people, we as Christians, are first forgiven. And we know what it means to be forgiven. How do you forgive someone who has hurt you very deeply? Maybe your husband or your spouse who had an affair. Your colleague who told lies about you to your boss and caused you to be bypassed for promotion or to lose a bonus. Your business partner who cheated you of your money. How do you deal with the bitterness from being wronged by treachery or betrayal? How wonderful it would be if you could have your revenge. That's why they say revenge is sweet. Panfilo de Naves was a soldier and explorer who conquered parts of Latin and South America, places like Jamaica and Cuba and later Florida and Mexico for the Spanish Empire in the 15th century. When he lay dying, his Catholic, there were Catholics, you know, devout Catholics, his, his Catholic father confessor asked him whether he had forgiven all his enemies. And Naves looked astonished and said, Father, I have no enemies. I shot them all. Don't you wish, sometimes, wish that you could release your anger and bitterness against your enemies by shooting them like what sometimes happens in the USA? You wish there were gun laws that allow you to take a rifle or a pistol and start shooting people you don't like? You don't mind going to jail for homicide later, never mind, because you release the anger inside of you. But seriously, seriously, how do you forgive in such cases? Well, we must understand that forgiveness is it's not just absolution from guilt, but it's actually a restoration of communion. It's a reconciliation of brokenness. It's not just a release from the past. Yes, it is that. But it is a freedom to be holy. Brothers and sisters, Christian forgiveness requires us to be willing to die. When we know that we have been already forgiven by God, we live as forgiven men and women and we die to our thirst for revenge and by the Spirit's enabling, we forgive those who wrong us, who hurt us. And God's grace can overcome our bitterness and bring healing. Hubert Humphrey was a former vice president of the United States many years ago. 
When he died, hundreds of people from across the world attended his funeral. And all were welcome, except one. Former President Richard Nixon, who not too long ago had dragged himself and his country through the humiliation and shame of the so-called Watergate scandal. And whenever Richard Nixon walked into that crowd of people who went for Hubert Humphrey's funeral, Nixon could feel himself ostracized. Eyes would turn away, people stopped talking when they, walk, when they see him walk past. And just at that time, Jimmy Carter, then US president, walked into the room. Now, Carter was a Democrat, while Nixon was a Republican. But Carter was well known for his honesty and integrity. And he's moved to his seat. President Carter noticed Richard Nixon standing all alone at one corner. So Carter immediately changed course, walked over to Richard Nixon, held out his hand and smiling genuinely and broadly, he embraced Richard Nixon and said, Welcome home, Mr. President. Welcome home. That incident was reported by Newsweek magazine. And then Newsweek magazine, the writer of that article wrote, if there was a turning point in Nixon's long ordeal in the wilderness, he resigned from the presidency, by the way, before impeachment proceedings were, were started against him. And he was forgiven, as it were, by President Ford, the succeeding president. And it was a turning point, to continue where I, just, uh, I was reading, there was a turning point in Nixon's long ordeal in the wilderness. It was that moment and that gesture of love and compassion by Jimmy Carter. Such is the power of grace that brings healing and self-forgiveness. My wife tells me, don't be so preachy. Give more illustration examples. Don't talk so much. So here's another story. This is a rather long one. Please bear with me, but with this story, I will close. Shortly after the turn of the century, Japan invaded, conquered, and occupied Korea. Of all the oppressors, Japan was the most ruthless. They overwhelmed the Koreans with a brutality that would sicken the strongest of stomachs. The crimes against women and children were, at the time, inhuman. Of course, it's very different today. Many Koreans live today with the physical and emotional scars from the Japanese occupation. And I think we still see some of this evidence when they talk to some of the elderly Korean women. And you read that in the papers from time to time. One group singled out for oppression was, as you might have guessed, the Christians. And when the Japanese army overpowered Korea, one of the first things they did was to board up or to close up all the evangelical churches and kick out most of the foreign missionaries. And the Japanese conquerors started by refusing to allow churches to meet and then jailing many of the key Christian leaders. And the oppression got worse and worse as the Japanese military increased its profile in the South Pacific. The land of the rising sun spread its influence through a reign of brutal savageness. And anguish filled the hearts of the oppressed Korean people and kindled deep hatred in their souls. And once one pastor persistently begged his local Japanese police chief for permission to meet for services. And his begging and his nagging was finally accommodated. And the police chief offered to unlock his church for just one meeting. And it didn't take, it didn't take long for word to go around. 
committed Christians serving for an opportunity for unhindered worship that we all enjoy here in Singapore week after week quickly made up their plans. And long before dawn on that promised Sunday, Korean families throughout the whole area made their way to that church. They passed the staring eyes of the Japanese soldiers, but nothing was going to steal their joy. And as they closed the doors behind them, they shut out the cares and oppression and shut in a burning spirit anxious to glorify their Lord. You know, the Korean church always had a reputation for being a singing church. And so their voices of praise could not be concealed inside the wooden, little wooden building. And the song after song ran through the open windows into that bright Sunday morning. And it was during a stanza of an old hymn that we don't sing very much here, Nearer My God to Thee, that the police chief waiting outside gave the orders. The people toward the back of the church could hear them when they barricaded the doors, but no one realized that they had doused the church with kerosene until they smelled the smoke. The dry wooden skin of the small church began to ignite and fumes filled the structure. Flames began to lick the baseboard of the interior walls. There was an immediate rush for the windows, but hope recoiled in horror as the men coming out of the windows came crashing back in because they were shot by a hail of bullets. The pastor knew that it was the end, and with a calm that comes from divine confidence, he led his congregation in a hymn whose words served as a fitting farewell to earth and a loving salutation to heaven. The first words of the hymn were all the prompting the terrified worshippers needed. With smoke burning in their eyes, they instantly joined in to sing, as one to sing. And the words tucked at the hearts of the cruel men who oversaw this flaming execution of the innocent. Old song, old hymn again. Alas, and did my saviour bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? And just before the roof collapsed, they sang the last verse of that hymn, their words and eternal testimony to their faith. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. This is all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart roll away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. The strains of music and the wails of the children were lost in the roar of flames. The bodies that once housed life fused with the charred rubble of a building that once housed a church. But the souls who left singing finished their chorus, thankfully, in the throne room of God. Now, clearing the remains of the burnt church building was an easy part. Erasing the hate would take decades. For some of the relatives of the victims who died, this was just too much. Evil has stooped to a new low, and there seemed to be no way to curb their bitterness and hatred of the Japanese. In the decades that followed, that bitterness was passed on to a new generation. The Japanese, although conquered, remained a hated enemy. And the monument the Koreans built at the location of the fire not only memorialized the people who died, but stood as a reminder of their deep pain. And the Korean people found it 
too hard to forgive. Hatred, even the Christians, hatred choked their joy to live as Christians. And it wasn't until 1972 that any hope came. A group of Japanese pastors traveling through Korea came upon that memorial. And when they read the details of the tragedy and the names of the spiritual brothers and sisters who had perished, they were overcome with shame. Their country had sinned. And even though none of them were personally involved, some of them were not even born at the time, they still felt that they had a national guilt that could not be excused. So they returned to Japan, sorry, to, they returned to Japan and decided to right this wrong. So they raised, they raised a big sum of money, 10 million yen, it was about US 25,000 at the time, a big sum of money. And the money was transferred through proper channels and the beautiful white church building, this is not real, huh? I'm just giving an example. It's erected on the site of the tragedy. And when the dedication service for the new building was held, a delegation from Japan joined the relatives and special guests. And although the generosity was acknowledged and the attempts at making peace appreciated, the memories were still there. Hatred preserves pain. And it keeps the wounds open and it hurts. The hurts are still fresh. And the Koreans' bitterness had festered and festered for decades. Whether you're Christian or not, the Japanese were descendants of an enemy that was hated by them. Speeches were made, details of the tragedy recalled, the names of the dead were honoured. And it was time to bring the service to a close. And someone in charge thought that it would be appropriate to conclude with the same two songs that were sung the day the church was burned. The song leader began the words, Nearer, my God, to thee. But something remarkable happened as the voices mingled on that familiar melody. As the memories of the past mixed with the truth of the song, resistance started to melt. The inspiration that gave hope to a doomed group of churchgoers in a past generation who testified to their faith with their lives gave hope once more to this new generation. And the song leader closed the service with the hymn at the cross. The normally stoic Japanese, you know how they are, they bow, they bow, but they're quite stoic, could not contain themselves. The tears that began to fill their eyes during the song suddenly gushed from deep within. They turned to the Korean spiritual relatives and begged them to forgive. They guarded, the guarded and the calloused hearts of the Koreans were not quick to surrender, but the love of the Japanese believers, so unintimidated by decades of hatred, tore at the Koreans' emotions. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. One Korean turned toward a Japanese brother, then another and another, and then the floodgates were opened. The floodgates that held back a wave of emotions were just simply released. The Koreans met the new Japanese friends in the middle. They clung to each other and wept. Korean tears of repentance, sorry, Japanese tears of repentance and Korean tears of forgiveness intermingled to bathe the sight of an old nightmare. Can I invite the musicians to come forward now? We're going to sing the closing song, Merciful God and Father. But before that, as the musicians play in the background, can I just ask you to Close your eyes with me and go to the Lord in prayer for a moment.
it's our, it's all eyes are closed. Actually, bow before the Lord in prayer. Let's consider what we've just um, read in the text, in Luke, and in Matthew, and in Ephesians, and in Colossians. Do we find it hard to forgive ourselves? Are we burdened with guilt for something we've done in the past? Some secret sin, some unkind deed, some cutting words spoken to a loved ones, a loved ones that were unnecessary. Maybe you harbor a, a deep, maybe unspoken, but a deep bitterness maybe even hatred towards someone who has hurt you really, really, really bad. Just like the Koreans against the Japanese captors during the war. Maybe your closest friend, your beloved partner betrayed you and you just cannot get it off your chest. And the bitterness is eating you up and it's blocking fellowship with God and with other people. And it's making you want to plot revenge. And that's all that consumes you day and night. To forgive is to let go. And it's not just Demi Lovato's theme song from Disney's Frozen. Let it go. It's not just that. It is to release your bitterness to God and let His love give you the grace to forgive both yourself and forgive others who hurt you. Brothers and sisters, God has forgiven our sins. Remember the words from an old hymn that we sing from time to time, It is well with my soul. There's one stanza that says, My sin, oh the joy of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. As forgiven people, we die to ourselves and we live for God. It is only when we recognize that we are forgiven, we are forgiven, that our lives are forgiven, that we have won it back because Christ has died for our sins. Only then can we live as forgiven people, crucified with Christ on the cross. And then and only then can we forgive others as God the Father forgave us for the sake of Jesus' prayer on the cross that day. If the Lord has spoken to you this morning, would you like to just put up your hands quickly and bring it down again? Because I'd like to say a prayer for you. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your hearts right now and is tugging at your heartstrings at some unconfessed bitterness and hatred in your life and your inability to even forgive yourself because you know there's some mistake that you made in the past there's some terrible thing that you did and you just can't forgive yourself or you just can't forgive someone else who hurt you will you just put up your hand heads about no one can see thank you thank you thank you Anyone else? This is not a transaction for me. It is a transaction between you and the Lord. If the Lord has spoken to you in some way, big or small, would you like to acknowledge it and put up your hand? And I would like to say a very short prayer for you before we sing the closing song. Anyone else? 
Thank you. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. We are completely transparent before you. There's nothing that we can hide. You know our history. You know the things we have done. You know the things that we are ashamed of. And you know also the pain and the bitterness that sometimes we hide from others and sometimes we hide from ourselves. Lord, teach us to release it to you. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Lord, thank you that because you have forgiven us, we have the grace from you to die to ourselves, to die to our thirst for revenge and to forgive others. Thank you, Lord. Help my brothers and sisters and others who are struggling, Lord, as many of us are struggling to forgive other people. Forgive us and help us to forgive ourselves and help us to forgive others. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your most precious name we pray. Amen. Let's rise and sing this last, this closing song. Merciful, Merciful God. God and Father. Merciful God and Father Loving us like no other Hear our prayers The cry of our hearts as we come to you We acknowledge our transgressions We confess to you our sins Show us mercy and compassion Touch our lives with your healing grace again. Mercy, God, and merciful God and Father, loving us like no other. Hear our prayer. Right of our hearts as we come to you. We acknowledge our transgressions. We confess to you our sins. Show us mercy and compassion. Touch our lives with your healing grace again. Release us. Release us from our past as we seek your faith. Wash us free at God and Father, should you sing?
service is over, but if you feel you need and you like to have someone pray with you, we encourage you to come forward and let the leaders spend some time with you in prayer. Thank you.